0: Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sadman here in Victoria, BC. In this program, we all discover jazz old and new together. We'll listen to a wide variety of jazz styles and I'll present different topics, giving ideas as to what we can listen for to enhance our experience. Thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters for hosting this podcast. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. You're hearing in the background an Oscar Peterson composition performed by pianist singer Louise Rose, who studied with Oscar for three and a half years. This is with Victoria's Great American Songbook Trio, a tune from his famous Canadiana suite, Wheatland. Louise Rose with Kelby McNair on drums and Joey Smith on bass, Oscar Peterson's Wheatland. Let's hear something by Oscar Peterson himself. Then we'll talk with Louise Rose about her experience studying with him. From what Jazz 91FM out of Toronto called one of the five essential albums of Oscar Peterson's 212 recordings, 1964's Night Train. With his famous trio of Ray Brown on bass and Ed Figpen on drums, here is Duke Ellington's Sea Jam Blues. Oscar Peterson, C. Jam Blues. Through talking with Louise Rose, one of Oscar's students who lives and plays here in Victoria, B.C., as well as through watching a terrific CBC documentary from 1972 called In the Key of Oscar, I was able to get a great sense of who Oscar Peterson was, not just as a musician, but as a man. Let's hear from Louise Rose. Oscar was devoted
1: to his craft and to his students. My sense of him was that he was without ego. He, he was relentless. I mean, absolutely relentless. His expectation, I believe it's fair to say, His expectation is that when you went to study with him, you went to study with him because you were
0: serious. That's very interesting that Louise could describe him as being so driven, yet still without ego. How did someone with so little ego become so amazingly successful and the best at his craft and his art? What drove him? It's hard to say. But from watching that 1972 documentary in the Key of Oscar, where he talks about his life, his success, and some of his regrets, you get the sense of a man who as well as having an incredible natural talent, was very much needing to meet his father's high expectations of him. He grew up in the poor but culturally and ethnically diverse saint henri area of Montreal. He was initially taught by a sister, Daisy, who would get lessons, then she'd come home and she would teach what she had learned to the rest of the Peterson children. And Oscar showed incredible talent right from the earliest ages. Daisy also taught neighborhood kids, including one who also became very famous, Oliver Jones. When Oscar asked his dad's permission to quit school and study to be a jazz pianist, his father at first said no. There's all sorts of jazz musicians in the world, and you don't want to be just another one. If you do that, you have to make sure that you are going to be the best jazz musician, and it seemed like Oscar worked hard to live up to that expectation. Even though when his father played him Art Tatum, probably the most dexterous pianist in jazz history, Oscar stopped playing piano for a month as he was so intimidated. But in the end, Oscar back got back on his journey to become the best. From his 1981 album, Nigerian Marketplace... Performances from the Montreux Jazz Festival. Here is Oscar Peterson's own composition called Cakewalk. <laughs> Cakewalk, Oscar Peterson with Niels Henning Orsted-Peterson on bass and Terry Clark drums from 1981. There were two contemporaries of Oscar Peterson who, while very talented, ended up not being successful in terms of achieving the fame they deserved. One of them was Oscar's sister, Daisy Sweeney, who, while she was an amazing and gifted teacher... Oscar expressed that perhaps their father's high expectations, which contributed to his thriving, did the opposite for Daisy, and that their dad's demands may have caused her to lose confidence. But while Oscar expressed some regrets about how his focus on his music and the years of touring and recording led him to neglect much of his family, it appears as if Daisy's family thrived. So who's really to say who was successful and who wasn't? As well as teaching pianists who became famous and successful, such as Oliver Jones, Ken Skinner, and Joe Sweeney, her daughter became a Canadian Olympic athlete and television journalist, and Daisy Sweeney co-founded the much-heralded Montreal Jubilation Gospel Choir. The other Oscar Peterson contemporary Two years younger than Oscar, ended up developing his incredible talent and became a masterful pianist. But a combination of drugs and a choice to stay in Canada rather than seek his fame outside led to barely anybody ever hearing of him. He was a Vancouver pianist named Chris Gage, who suicided at age 37 in 1964. Oscar Peterson knew Chris Gage and thought he was truly his musical rival, and when Oscar went to the U.S. in the late 1940s, he expected to hear as much about Gage as he did about Maynard Ferguson, another Canadian who became internationally known. But Chris Gage never made a single commercial recording, but he did have some recordings made for some CBC television and radio shows. And thanks to an old family friend of mine, uh, Don Goddard, whose wife had Chris Cage as an uncle, I have a stack of CDs of him playing. And he's truly amazing. Let's hear something. And you'll notice maybe not so much a similarity in styles to Oscar Peterson's, but probably a pretty equal ability to interpret a tune with precision and creativity. Here he is with his version of the Ralph Burns' Woody Herman tune, Bijou. The Chris Gage KO from either the mid 50s or early 60s, depending on which source you accept. <laughs> it's not Oscar Peterson, even though this episode is about him. It's Vancouver pianist Chris Gage sounding possibly as good as Oscar. He never made it. That might relate to the fact that in Canada, we rarely appreciate our musical artists, so they have to move to the U.S. And Chris Gage never did that. Let's hear some more from Louise Rose.
1: So, I can be playing in a club and... And I I have often played in the club, and someone will say when I'm on my break, I hear shades of Oscar. You can't not hear shades of Oscar. But I'm not trying to be Oscar. When I went to study with him, first thing Oscar Peterson asked me was why I was there. And I I said, and I, until the lobotomy, I will remember what I said. I said, because I want to play like you, sir. And he looked at me and he said, well, then you should go home. There is one Oscar Peterson, and I'm it. (laughs) My job, is to teach you to play like yourself.
0: Let's hear that combination of Shades of Oscar with Louise playing like herself. Here is her medley of our national anthem with Oscar Peterson's famous Hymn to Freedom. Louise Rose with a medley of Oscar Peterson's Hymn to Freedom and O Canada. I think it's really important to hear more about that tune, Hymn to Freedom, and why it was so important both for Oscar and for Louise, and we will. But the best way to appreciate Oscar Peterson is to listen to him. Here's from his first solo piano album that he made called My Favorite Instrument from 1968. This is Bye-bye, Blackbird. Yes, let's hear another one from the same album of Solo Piano, a shorter one this time. His version of Lulu's Back and Down. fine example of stride piano and a great demonstration of Oscar Peterson's dexterity on the instrument, as well as the groans and grunts he was known for as he played, which, strangely, never got in the way when he accompanied singers. I want to briefly go back to the subject of racial prejudice, which is something that both Oscar Peterson and Louise Rose experienced. And in Oscar's case, very much that and the extreme reaction to the civil rights movement in the 1960s contributed to his writing his best-known piece, which we heard Louise Rose play earlier, The Hymn to Freedom. Louise, similar to the situation with Nina Simone, initially wanted to be a classical player, but quickly realized that this was an option not open to her as a black woman in the U.S., and it was the connection and the support of her local black community that contributed to her being able to study with the likes of Oscar Peterson and Duke Ellington. I got to
1: study with him because of the black musicians in the town in which I was born. Norristown, Pennsylvania. And, and when I was a kid, I'm only supposing. I was 11 years old. And Mr. Smith, James Smith Sr., the dad of Jimmy Smith, the organ player, also from Norristown, Pennsylvania. James Smith came to Our house. My dad died when I was ten. And anyway, anyway, Mr. Smith came to our house, and he he said to my mother, "Uh, Miss Rose, we think the child has promise, and if there's any ever anything the boys and I can do to help her on her way. You let us know. I was in my my second year at Temple University, where my dream, my dream, was to be an accompanist of classical singers. I busted my butt like, and maybe like Nina Simone. I busted my butt in my classical training. And when I realized that there was, there was no place for me. Literally, no place for me anywhere in the world. So, with my tail between my legs, I guess, I said to my mother, I think I wanna study jazz. I had no idea what jazz was. No. I'm telling you, no (laughs) idea. And so, my mother went to Mr. Smith, and two years later, I was in Mississauga, Ontario. Another important part of that, Larry. I never paid a dime.
0: Really?
1: What my mom and I did was get me to Mississauga. Lodging was found for me. Board, food, never paid a dime. Nearly three and a half years. With Oscar Peterson. Never paid a dime.
0: And Oscar Peterson himself was subject to a lot of prejudice as well, especially early in his career. I invite you to watch the CBC documentary In the Key of Oscar, available on YouTube. And there's a new film I haven't seen yet on him called Black and White. We're hearing in the background Oscar Peterson playing his famous hymn to freedom from the Night Train album of 1963. Let's hear it to the end. Let's hear something else from Oscar Peterson. Two years after he had a stroke in 1993, losing much of his ability to play with his left hand, he was back playing. Here's something from a 1996 album where Oscar Peterson meets trumpeter Roy Hargrove and saxophonist Ralph Moore, sounding so much better using mostly one hand than most other jazz pianists can sound using two. His own composition, North York, with Lewis Nash on drums and Niels Henning or Stead Peterson bass. North York, that's a district of Toronto. That's Oscar Peterson with Roy Hargrove and Ralph Moore. Now, over these past two weeks, I've had the pleasure of sitting down with Louise Rose and talking first about her studies with Duke Ellington, and then on this episode with Oscar Peterson. Let's finish with a reflection on something that Duke told her.
1: I had this memory of him turning to me and saying, You know you are stardust. And I didn't get it. No, mm-hmm. I'm raised in the Baptist church.
2: Uh-huh.
1: We don't talk about stardust in the Baptist church, you know. What, I mean, I do now. I, I do now.
0: Right. That saying, you are stardust. It's a saying popularized by astronomer Carl Sagan and singer-songwriter Joni Mitchell, and it comes from the recognition by mid-20th century astrophysicists that our solar system, the Earth, our very bodies are composed of elements forged in dying stars, if not from the Big Bang. Each of us shares with the Milky Way an astounding 97% of the same type of atoms. So yes, it's a huge picture and tells us just how connected we all are. Thank you, Louise Rose, for your words of inspiration. Let's end with stardust. First, Oscar Peterson and Lester Young from 1952. Then Layla Bialy with Phil Dwyer performing Joni Mitchell's Woodstock with George Collar Bass and Larnell Lewis. Drums, where she tells us tells us that we are stardust. You've been listening to Discovering Jazz. Thank you so much, Louise Rose, for gracing us with your presence during this last two episodes. I'm Larry Sademan, saying bye for now. <laughs> ¶¶